Miss now to the children's church. The rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 6. And we have a place where we're kind of jumping off here today. Peter, as he often does, just puts into very few words a great truth, asks a great question here, and uh, uh, actually it's in response to a question that Jesus has asked in verse 68, Then Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And this morning I'd like to just talk about the question, the title of the message is, To Whom Shall We Go? Uh, John chapter 6 is one of the most misunderstood passages in all the Scripture. Jesus says many things here, and uh, they are very confusing unless you read the whole chapter. Uh, it's, it's amazing to me, and I, I, I hope I don't sound repetitious. We've been in John chapter 6 many times, but... The only one of the few places in the Bible where Jesus was speaking figuratively or spiritually of spiritual truths, they want to take literally. Everywhere else in the Bible where Jesus is speaking literally, they want to spiritualize it. And of course, this is nothing new. This is what the world has always done. But as we get the context of this passage this morning, let's just look at this verse one more time. Verse 68, Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Now here's Jesus' response to Peter's great statement of faith. Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? This he spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Jesus is not impressed with our faith. Uh, what we're here to do this morning in song, and, and I hope that you did sing the absolute best you could, because the audience for which we are singing is the Lord Jesus Christ. We sang that song as a choir this morning, and they have worked on that uh, many times and sung it before. Yes, it's a beautiful song. It, it deserves to be sung again. Amen. And uh, they did a, a, a very good job, and yet... We pray before the practices because it's not our great singing ability that God's going to use. If we could get a hold of this truth, uh, some circles make a great deal of spiritual gifts. And uh, I want you to understand one thing about spiritual gifts. If you get this, everything else will fall in place in the Bible. Spiritual gifts are enabling enablement by the Holy Spirit of God for service in the church. There are many people in this world that are great singers. That's not the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
There are many people in this world who are great teachers, far better speakers than I would ever hope to be in my wildest imagination, but that's not a gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is enablement to serve Jesus Christ in His church. And when you get a hold of that, then we can let go of what we had before Christ, what we had before, and serve Him His way in His church. I challenge you that Peter really did not understand what Jesus was saying here in John chapter 6. The disciples really weren't going to understand what Jesus was teaching here until after the resurrection. So let's just spend a little bit of time here. Uh, let's just skip down to the hard part. Uh, verse 41, it says, And the Jews, the Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Now, the Jews, again, when it's capital J-E-W-S, this is talking about the Pharisees. This is talking about the leaders in the synagogue. And they're murmuring because Jesus said, I am the bread. Uh, look at verse um, 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. This is an answer to the people that followed Jesus across the Sea of Galilee after the feeding of the 5,000. And they said, when's lunch, Lord? Uh, we could do this forever. Just follow you and you would feed us and all we have to do is listen to you teach and then you can feed us and we will do nothing but learn from Jesus. Well, Jesus kind of uh, blew a hole in the bottom of that ship, we might say. I mean, he was not very kind, etc. He said, you've seen me and you don't believe. He said, the only reason you're following me is because you want the food. And then he says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. If you will come to me, you'll never hunger, you'll never thirst. Now, let me just ask a question. What happens just a few hours after breakfast? I mean, if you go down to the diner and get the biggest three-egg omelet that you could possibly stuff in at one time, and... Uh, uh, then all the order of potatoes and hash brown, three or four cups of coffee there. I mean, that sets you up for a whole day, doesn't it? Till lunchtime. Because then your body says, hey, I, I've processed all those calories and made you five pounds heavier. It's time to start again. And, and so how in the world could Jesus be talking about physical things in making this statement? Because if you don't eat, I promise you one thing was going to happen to you in, in a long enough period of time. If you won't eat for about 65 to 70 days, 
even the strongest and healthiest among us is going to get sick and die. That's about as far as you can go. If you refuse to drink water or you're uh, out, in, uh, out in a place where you cannot get water to drink, you can last about three to possibly seven days. That's it. And yet Jesus said, if you'll come unto me, you'll never need to eat again and you'll never need to drink again. That would be a wonderful truth if it were in the physical realm, but it's not. Couldn't be. Because God does not suspend these things. Jesus, uh, the rules of nature, how we're supposed to sustain ourselves from day to day. And the verse 37, Jesus goes on to say, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will no wise cast out. That is one of the great promises of all the Bible, is it not? Jesus said, If you will come to me, I will not cast you out. I don't know if you've ever reach this point in your spiritual life where you get discouraged with yourself and your ability to serve God. But I promise you uh, that if you're really striving to serve the Lord, there's going to come a time when you're going to find out you don't have what it takes. That's a good thing. But he says, if you'll come to me, I'm not going to say no to you. Because it's not based on your ability. It's not based on your uh uh, 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 success and what you're able to do. It says, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which, ha- which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, it's amazing here that we get the Jews murmuring in verse 41 because he said, I came down from heaven when he just told them, if you will believe on me, you'll have everlasting life. Only God could make that promise. Uh, The Jewish people understood a few things. Those Ten Commandments are still held very dear in in Jewish faith, and up until just a few decades ago, were dearly held here in this country as well. And the first one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Second one is, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. The, The first two commandments, there is only one God, and you only worship the true God. And Jesus is saying, I want you to believe in me, and I'll give you everlasting life. And they weren't upset by that at all. That didn't offend them. What offended them was he said, he came down from heaven. How could he come down from heaven? We, we know his mother and we know his father. Well, the Bible always proves itself. Jesus was a 100% man. He was so much man that they could not believe that he was God. Would not believe that he is God. And so now Jesus is going to uh, get a little more into the argument. And, and we come down to verse 43. Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. Now you've got to get this. Here are these people listening. It's in the 
synagogue at Capernaum. Uh, there are hundreds of people probably in this meeting here, mostly men at this point, and they're listening to Jesus teach, and they're, how can he come down from heaven? We know his parents. How could that be? It wasn't an official debate going back and forth. This was whispers in the crowd, and Jesus is answering their whispers that were never spoken loud enough for even Jesus to hear them. What he was doing was proving to them who he is. And they weren't accepting. I mean, if you're standing there whispering something to your friend in class, and you don't say it loud enough for the teacher to hear you, and the teacher answers your question perfectly or gives a smarter remark to your smart remark without even hearing it, you're going, wow. Uh, this guy got a bug in the desk. I mean, how, do, how does he know what I'm saying? Does he read lips? Uh, uh, and yet Jesus was doing that. And they weren't paying attention. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. This is the third time Jesus said, I'm going to raise him up at the last day. He just told these people he was talking to, you're not going to be a part of that group. Now, do you think that they should take offense at that? I mean, if they were going to get offended at anything, don't you think that would be the thing that they would get the most offended? Jesus said, you're not going to be part of the resurrection. He says, it is written in the prophets, verse 45... And they shall all be taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. He, he is laying it on heavy. He said every man is going to be taught of God. God's word goes out into all the world. And those that receive God's message come to me. And you don't receive me. You don't believe on me. Therefore, you've been taught of God. But you're not hearing God's message. Jesus was uh, not just once, but here twice in these last few verses. In verse 46, um, No, not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now they're going nuts. And in verse uh, 52, the Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, Jesus, being the kind and loving man that he was, just twisted it a little harder. Uh, he, he didn't step back a little bit. He didn't try to get them to agree with him. He just pushed a little harder. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Now that's pretty radical, is it not? 
Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. There it is again. Eternal life deals with, and let's keep going here. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, do you think Peter really understood what Jesus was saying here? Disciples didn't get it. The people that were in the synagogue didn't get it. The the Jewish, the religious leaders, they certainly didn't get it. Verse 60, many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? They said, wow. This, this doesn't make a bit of sense. I don't get this at all. Who, who can understand, when they say this is a hard saying, who can hear it? What they're saying is, this, this is confusing to me. I don't see any sense in the words that are being said here. I can't make heads or tails, we might say. Uh, I can't uh, process these words. And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? Now, are, are you getting what's all going on here? These people are murmuring among themselves, and Jesus is answering every question. And every time he says something, he's twisting that knot a little bit. Tight. He's making it more uh, difficult for them to understand. He is taking their minds and tying it in a knot and pulling it tighter and tighter until something's going to give. Because the Word of God always accomplishes the work that God sends it to. And when you refuse to accept the truth that Jesus has taught, you see, if you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ... And you heard him say these words as Peter did, then your response is going to be Peter's response in verse 68. To whom shall we go? Lord, there is no other place to go. I don't understand what you're teaching, but I'm not going anywhere. How many of you have ever been there in your spiritual life? Say, this doesn't make as much sense as I would like it to. Well, let's, let's get back to our theme for this year, except you be converted and become as little children. You're not getting into heaven. You want know little children don't need to understand everything. Now do they? You know, sometimes parents try to explain everything. I always cringe when I see parents explaining something to a little tiny child. That mind is not ready to reason yet. A good, simple, because I said so, will get you a lot farther. Because they can understand that. 
Dad said so, I'd better do it. Otherwise, there's going to be consequences. Uh, uh, it, it works. And, uh, but as we grow older, we want to understand things for sure. And it wasn't long before Peter understood every word that Jesus was saying. But let's look at Jesus' explanation here. Verse 63. And, and Jesus even tweaks the disciples here in verse 62. He said, what? And if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before. He said, what are you guys going to do when I ascend up into heaven? Jesus was going to do that. They were going to see it. He said, if this little thing bothers you, what are you going to do? It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Jesus said, I'm talking to you about spiritual things. Now, if you've been around this church very long, is it very hard for you to grasp the concept that we must be partakers of the death and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ to have our sins forgiven. Is that a very hard concept to grasp? It shouldn't be. Because Jesus' death on the cross paid the price for my sins. His resurrection from the dead proved that he had the power over sin and over death. That the price was paid. If you die for your own sins, you go to hell forever. The end of conversation. It's done. How am I supposed to live for Jesus in this wicked, crazy world in which we live? I'm supposed to drink, spiritually speaking, the water of the Word. Amen. I'm supposed to eat the bread of the Word of God. That's what the table of showbread was all about in the Old Testament tabernacle. It was the food. And it was there. And Jesus is trying to help us understand that we must be partakers. What He did on the cross has to be put specifically on our account. How many of you have ever taken money to the bank and deposited it and they took your money and put it in somebody else's account? That's happened to us at least once. Uh, That's not a good thing. You go back to the bank and say, you didn't put the money in my account. Right here is my deposit slip. And and they go, oh my, we, we made a mistake. Like, we never make mistakes. And, uh, well, let's see if we can get that back for you. That's not the way it works here. Uh, you're not going to see if you can get that back. You're going to get that back. It was your mistake. Uh, right here is the proof that it was your mistake. And yet, we're dealing with the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not make mistakes. Amen? Verse 66 says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They said, I've had enough. Jesus sounded really good up to this point, but now he's getting a little crazy. It just doesn't make sense anymore. And and I'm going back to where I was. At least I'll be comfortable there. 
Well, you have to understand, if you can do that, the Father didn't draw you. You're not part of those that will be raised up at the last day. If you truly believe the Bible, you will truly believe the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will understand that His blood must be put on my account. And His resurrection is also put on my account. That's why He says, I will raise Him up again and again and again. And as these people are leaving and ceasing to follow Jesus, Jesus turns to His disciples. He says, will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. I I want to challenge you today as we really get into the message proper here. That there is only one Lord Jesus Christ. And there is only one way to approach the Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one way to heaven. That is the Bible way. Sometimes when I'm talking with people, I'll I'll say, have you been born again the Bible way? And and say, well, why do you say that? Well, because uh, if you're old enough to remember a very filthy comedian, a wicked man named Richard Pryor uh, was baselining cocaine with a lit cigarette and blew his face off, literally. And the plastic surgeons put a new face on and he said, I've been born again. Uh, no, not what it is. You turn on the TV and a bunch of people are jumping up and down and they're saying, I've been born again. And you talk to Jimmy Baker and he said, I've been born again. And after he did all the, well, anyway, we're not going there. Uh, let me tell you, there's a whole lot of people claiming things that just aren't true. Jesus said, if you're going to believe in God, you're going to believe in me. If you want the Bible, you want Jesus. There are no other options. And Peter got the message. Now we want to have a practical application. Look with me at Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Now that little time has passed. In the book of Luke, in chapter 24, Jesus has been crucified. This is actually Resurrection Sunday. The two men were walking the road to Emmaus. They saw Jesus just about sundown, recognized Him for who He was, and ran back to Jerusalem. So, it is well after dark, 7 or 8 o'clock here in the evening. And uh, we get to verse uh, 34 of chapter 24. And these are the disciples that were assembled at Jerusalem to the men, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. Now, what was the one event that happened between the arrest of Jesus and his resurrection that was just Simon Peter? It was his denial, wasn't it? 
Could I, could I challenge you? It would be hard for you to fail. Actually, it would be impossible for you to fail like Peter failed. Jesus had not ascended into heaven. The gift of the Holy Spirit had not been given as, as it is at this point. And so Peter failed. In every measure of faith, Peter failed. He, he followed afar off. He stood there at the very fire where the men that had arrested Jesus were warming his hands. Someone might say, well, that's a rather brave thing for him to do. No, the, the, the actual word would be foolhardy. Uh, that is a fool's bravery. That is not the kind of bravery that does anything for the cause of which it pretends to be brave for. Did Simon Peter stop one lash of the, uh, of the uh, Roman scourge that beat Jesus' back? Did Peter answer one question or resolve one bit of the animosity and the hatred and the reproach that was heaped upon the Lord Jesus Christ? No, actually he added to it, didn't he? By saying, ah, I don't know that guy. And somebody said, I thought I saw you in the garden. Didn't you cut my cousin's ear off? And Peter said, no, no, that's not me. And he says, wait a minute, you're a Galilean. You got that accent. He says, we know where you came from. It ain't around here, son. And, and, uh, and Peter began to curse and to swear. And, of course, they all said, oh, wait a minute. Jesus' disciples, they don't talk like that. Maybe, maybe we made a mistake. But then the Bible says Jesus was walking between Caiaphas and Ananias, or Ananias and Caiaphas, and he looked on Peter. Just about that time, the rooster crowed the second time. And all of a sudden, in a blinding flash, everything came back to Peter. Jesus' words, before the cock crows twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And what's it say? He went out and wept bitterly. I don't know if you've ever wept bitterly over something you've done. Peter did. But here's what the Bible says. The Lord is risen indeed. And hath appeared unto Peter. You know what that tells me? Stick with Jesus. Just stay with Jesus. But I want to tell you, the Lord Jesus is not into making your life comfortable. If he was, he would have never said those things in John chapter 6 to start with. Now, would he? Why was Jesus making these religious leaders so uncomfortable? It was because he was trying to get them to open their eyes and understand there's no place to go but the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And Peter, when he had failed, realized, it's no longer about me. It's all about Jesus. Almost. Because we go to John chapter 21, and Peter still had some problems. And Jesus made Peter rather uncomfortable here. 
Peter says, I'm going fishing. I guess it's all over. Jesus is gone. He's, he appears every so often, but this is basically it. I'm going back to where I was when I started. And Jesus appears on the shore. And they sit there and eat of the fish which they have brought and some which Jesus already had cooking there. And three times, Jesus asked Peter. First time he says, Simon Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Uh, Are you still going to say you're my greatest admirer, Peter? Uh, Are you first in line of all of those that love me? That, That cut to the quick now, didn't it? I mean, Jesus addressed the issue. Peter had said, I don't care what the rest of them do. I'll die for you. And three times, the last time with profanity, he denied even knew the Lord. Jesus says, okay, Peter, step up the plate here. You still think you love me more than everybody else? You know, people want to go into all the words and try to make Jesus condescend the level of love to the level of Peter's love. God never does that. God always wants to raise us to the level of his love. You're just, false exegesis is what that simply is. If you want a simple understanding, how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three? How many times did Jesus ask Peter, do you love me? Three? Both are recorded in God's Word. Why? Because God was giving Peter a chance to set the record right. He said, the first time you even said you love me more than everybody else. Are you going to do that? Are you going to make that statement now? And Peter said, no. (laughs) Lord, you know I love you. Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And each time Jesus said, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. I'm sorry, feed my sheep. And feed my sheep. Do you know what Jesus was doing? He says, Peter, you got to get your attention off Peter. You got work to do. But if you're going to do the work, you got to remember they're my lambs. They're my sheep. And you're going to be serving me. And we'd say, wow, what a great truth. Peter didn't get it yet. And I don't know about you, I rejoice in the fact that Peter was a little dense sometimes. Because it gives me hope for me. And it gives me hope for others. Can we say amen to that? Because we get down to verse 21. And it says, Peter seeing him. Talking about John. Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, verse 22, John 21. Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow Thou me. Now, I'll tell you this. Peter did not live a perfect life. He was a human being. Read Acts chapter 15. He got sideways with uh, the Jewish people and some of the traditions and things. And Paul had to set him right, of all people. 
But we never have a time where Peter isn't leading people to Jesus. On the day of Pentecost, what was this message all about? It was about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2 if you would. Acts chapter 2, we're not going to read the whole sermon today. Verse 14, uh, we're just going to read 14 through 16. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Uh, Peter's first point of his message is what you are seeing is a fulfillment of prophecy. Taking them back to the Word of God. Skip down to verse 22. It says, You men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Now, Peter did not have to go through the list of things that Jesus did because every Jewish man living in Jerusalem at this time assembled here for the Feast of Pentecost, they knew the story of Jesus. It wasn't done in a corner. It wasn't hidden. It says, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. He's preaching the resurrection. Verse 37. Well, let's... uh, uh, verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and they said, and said unto Peter, And to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as our Lord, as the Lord our God shall call. What did Peter preach on the day of Pentecost? Jesus crucified? Buried, risen again. That's the gospel. That's how we get saved. He was not deterred. He was not distracted in his message. He only had one message. And they say they, that gladly received his word, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. You know, uh, we make a, uh, many times a false dichotomy or division there. We, we draw a line and say, well, you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and, and not really do the things the Bible says. Uh, what did Jesus say in John chapter 6? If you're going to believe on God, you're going to believe on me. It, it's not a some or none uh, uh, some or all proposition. It is all or none. We, we, we need to stop playing games. 
if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are saved, you need to follow the Lord in what the Bible says. And I want to challenge you, there are no other options. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, Peter goes on through the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3. He and John are walking to the temple at the hour of prayer, and there's a lame man there. Peter, being a good Baptist, silver and gold, have I none, but such as I have, give I to thee. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And he enters the temple, leaping and jumping and screaming at the top of his lungs, Praise be to the God of Israel. And everybody's saying, what's going on here? What does Peter do? He preaches Jesus to the very men that were responsible, humanly speaking, for his crucifixion. But Peter has already solved that on the day of Pentecost. He said it was the determinate counsel of God that sent Jesus to the cross. But you guys volunteered to do the job. And if you'll repent, Jesus will take you in just like he did me. That was Peter's message. Amen? We go a few chapters more and we got the story of Dorcas, who had died. And they sent for Peter. How many of you remember the story of Dorcas or Tabitha in the Bible? She was an older lady. She was a widow. And she spent all of her time and all of her wealth helping people. What a wonderful person. Then she died. And they said, send for Peter. Because Peter had some type of special something? No. Because Peter walked with God. And Jesus is capable of doing anything. And Dorcas came back to life. We don't know how long she lived. The Bible doesn't tell us. Eventually she would die a permanent death. And she is on the other side waiting for us in glory. But... Here's what the Bible says in Acts chapter 9. If you turn there to the last verse, I think it is, of the chapter. No, the second, um, second to last verse, verse 42. And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in Peter. No. Many believed in the Lord. See, that was Peter's job. That was Peter's message, is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we get to Acts 10 and Acts 11, and Peter did something that was beyond the imagination of any living Christian at that time, any living Jewish person that God would give the same salvation that he gave to the Jews to the Gentiles. And who was the one that led the discussion? Who was the one that did the work? In case you're wondering, that's the keys of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus talked about in Matthew 16. The key of the gospel to the Jew and the key of the gospel to the Gentile. And if you're not a Jew and you're not a Gentile, you don't need to get saved because you're not a human being. All right? Uh, you fit into one of those two categories. That's how the Bible divides people up. You're Jews and you're non-Jews. And, and most of us in this auditorium, I'd say, are, are classified as Gentiles. And 
And that's where we are. But Peter took that message. Do you remember what Cornelius did when Peter walked in the door? He fell down on his knees and worshipped him. Peter grabs him and says, stand up. He said, I'm a man just like you are. We don't worship anybody but God. Peter was strong. I mean, that was probably the only time in Cornelius' entire life that somebody reprimanded him like that and got away with it. He was a Roman soldier. He's like a captain or a colonel. You you just didn't mess with those guys. Uh, It was instantaneous death. He had at least a hundred men under his control. They'd do anything he said. Here, Peter's grabbing him up and and rebuking him. Because Peter wanted him to understand one thing. There's only one person we worship. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we don't pray to saints. Because prayer is a form of worship. And prayer and worship belong only to Jesus Christ. That's why we don't do a lot of traditional things that some churches do. It's not because we hate tradition. It's because we love Jesus. And you see, Peter, he got off to a pretty strange start. He said, Lord, I have no idea what you just said. It doesn't make a bit of sense to me. But I do know this. To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. We're, we're not going anywhere else. It's amazing to me that the Jews in all of their arguments with Jesus never once argued that point that he said, believe on me and ye shall have everlasting life. They never argued that point. I would think that would be the most offensive point of all of Jesus' preaching. Is because Abraham was dead. David's grave was right outside the city walls of Jerusalem. Their whole history was buried all around them. And here this Jesus guy says, you believe on me and you'll have eternal life. That's where they should have been upset about. But they weren't upset about that. They were too busy saying, we know your parents. How can you say you came down from heaven? Uh, we want you to feed us like you did the, the 5,000 yesterday. Uh, that's what we're really concerned about when what we ought to be concerned about is to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And in Peter, life proved it's much more than just saying, Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner and save me. It's every day for the rest of your life. Now, Peter got out of the way a little bit on different occasions. And Jesus said, listen, if I will that he stays here until I come back, that's meaningless to you. That's non-topical. You follow me. That was the last time Jesus had to say that to Peter. He finally got it. The one thing I love about Peter was when he got something, he got it. When he got it right, he got it right. And he was the preacher on Pentecost and he spent the rest of his life Telling other people about Jesus. So the question. To whom shall we go? The answer. Thou hast the words of eternal life. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come.